is is this the podcast or are we going to do it? Well, I think there's good content here that I could edit if you wanted to. The podcasts that I like are just two people that are cool, who are getting along and they just tell their story and they're not afraid to say practicing law is hard. And they're willing to say, talk about their own, you know, burnout or this or that. And that made me realize, like this hardship that I had made me realize a lot about Welcome, BoomXers. Let's throw out the old playbook. It's time to tear down the traditional way of looking at your life and money. And leverage the laws of money to our advantage. That's right. There are laws of money. And those who learn and leverage the laws of money win. And sometimes win big. Stay tuned as asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle, educator and leader of the BoomX Nation, shows us how. Beginners, investors, entrepreneurs, fellow attorneys, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's arm this ball. Now, here's the BoomX Show. The Laws of Money. You have to unmute. (laughs) (laughs) I realized that, actually. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I thought you, some guy named David Cunningham was going to be on. Jim Cunningham is coming. And yeah, so Jim, he's actually the president, CEO, extraordinaire leader of our firm. And I've been, my role at the firm has been the last three going on four years, the director of HR and operations. So kind of flying the plane, so to speak. And I'm actually shifting over into the director of marketing role. So I'm here really to kind of partner with you and with Jim to talk about what you've got. So. Yeah. Where's your firm? All I have is the calendar link that said Jim's going to talk to me today. So t- <laughs> tell me about where is it? What kind of practice is it? Sure. And just to be really super clear on a few housekeeping things, we're recording, but I think it's just internal, right? This is not a live webinar or live no, broadcast it, anymore. That's right. And your audio is pretty good. But what I've noticed is when I interview attorneys, they're using the microphone that came with their computer. And so a lot of times we just use this meeting to determine whether it's a good fit and, you know, how people, if it resonates with my audience or whatnot, I'm going to let Jim in now. He just showed up. Yeah. So yeah, we're not live. It's just being recorded. Sure. Jim, we're not live. It's just being recorded for internal purposes, but (sighs) Daryl, for your information, Jim's got all the bells and whistles as it relates to media and great sound and good lighting. So I think that's going to be a good fit tech wise. It looks like he has a legit mic there. So look what I just got too. You got to see this. Oh, cool. That's, oh, wow. That is mine on the desk. (laughs) I just got it. This is, this Joe Rogan (laughs) uses it. This is the most badass little microphone boom arm what is the mic it's sm7b oh the sure it's what michael jackson used to record thriller oh really (laughs) look how that turned out for him (laughs) yeah i know you must you've got a great voice so you must podcast yeah we do i just did a when covid hit we're like okay what do we do now right and then i just started doing webinars and we've got like 3800 followers not a lot but we get a lot of our business from YouTube. So I did one today. I had about 48 people on the webinar. We're going through you know, tax planning for business owners. It's really high value content and people right. 
they watch it and we're just helping people out. And I'm doing something that I think a lot of other lawyers don't do, which is just kind of spill the beans and pull the curtain back and give them the secret <laughs> sauce. Yeah, I'm with you, brother. Yeah, that's my whole thing. What do you use for your mixer? Oh, I used to have a pot pack, a roadcaster. Yeah. Yeah, but I broke it. <laughs> I did, I did. I, that's what I'm using a roadcaster. <laughs> yeah. Well, I broke mine. So I just went to Best Buy and bought a little $100. How did you break it? I have no stinking idea. One minute it worked and one minute it didn't. So, you know. So how so much I, coffee? Did, how much coffee did you spill on it? <laughs> At the time, I was in Chattanooga, so it was probably whiskey. But <laughs> oh, there you go, there you go. Yeah. Are you in California? Yeah. So I'm in oh. in California. I'm in I'm in Marin County. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So no, it's state tax, community property, state. Medicaid has a reputation for being weird, and everybody bitches and gripes about probate law in California. I don't know if you can see. There it is. Oh, so we have this little house on, it's like a, it's basically a boat house oh, on nice. the San Francisco Bay. Oh, so, yeah. So, wow. I'm impressed. And I've got I, my green screen so I can be anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like my background? Love it. Uh, yeah. I painted the whole studio black. <clears throat> Nice. It's like that, Joe Rogan. That, that is a chalkboard. The entire wall is a chalkboard. So I do all my noodling up there on that wall. So what did you do or what do you do for practice, for law practice? I am a personal planning attorney, estate planning, but became uh -huh. very, very good at Medicaid. My state is an estate tax jurisdiction, yeah, the highest right. estate tax in the country. Yeah. And so I've attracted higher net worth. And for me, a big case is 7 million. And most of my clients are below two, probably half. And then the rest are taxable from two to four. And then maybe 10 or 15% are above four. So we're doing CRTs and wealth replacement trusts and that sort of thing. I spent a lot of time thinking about Medicaid and thinking about tax and thinking about what goes wrong and how can I get information to the public in a way that's fun about law and implementation and strategy yeah so uh, uh, <clears throat> delivering the content in a fun way about a really boring topic really oh. boring <laughs> i wrote a book savvy oh, estate planning second yeah. edition it's That's stories awesome. it, it's all it is stories so it's not yeah. boring legal stuff but it's interesting so what would you want to talk about on the podcast because when you're mentioning medicaid and medical in california what's happened in california is the rules are changing and they're it's like DRA is on a different planet. It's just not even being implemented in California at all. They are getting rid of the asset test in July one of next year. So it's all income. So you can have an unlimited amount of assets and still be on Medi-Cal and have your nursing home bill paid for by the state. So, I'm trying to process that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> how, yeah. How can you process it? How can a needs-based program not be based on resources? It's based on income only, not assets. I want to move to California. <laughs> well, that's actually, that is, <laughs> that is not a bad, and this is kind of, I don't know if you saw news, Gavin Newsom, who's our governor, he did an ad in Florida, basically saying- Did he really? I know where this is going. Oh, yeah. 
it's like all this crazy shit's going on and abortion's illegal. They're coming after gay marriage. They're coming after your freedom. And he's like, you can move to California because it's protected here. And so that's kind of part of, you know, it seems like the states, we used to be a lot more unified as a country. Now it's like 50 experiments and they're, we're getting further apart, right? Yeah, all right. You can agree or disagree with it, but it's I, just I interesting that it's going that way. Right. But, and so the same, that's no different from Medi-Cal. So California has a very expansive, very generous public benefit program. And I just got ready for a webinar today and I ran a calculation. If you make a million dollars a year, you're paying $106,000 in state income tax every year. And there are a lot of people that make a million dollars a year. So, you know, when I swung through Florida on my way to Puerto Rico, I had this image of people who have never worn a mask and would never wear a mask and Trump bumper stickers and the whole thing. When I yeah. got there, what I saw was a bunch of old people <laughs> <laughs> and they're all masked up because they're afraid, you know? And yes, yeah, because you were in Boca Raton, right? Uh, well, I was in Fort Myers, which is okay. oh, it's the same, same deal, right? Same North Naples, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the same. poor man's Naples. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, so there's you know a guy, area. Craig, do you know Craig Hirsch? He's an estate planning attorney in Florida. No. And I went to one of his, he kind of had this before COVID kind of this service offering. So I went like six times to Fort Myers and he said, don't listen to this, Amber. He said, somebody on the, <laughs> we use Wealth Council and somebody wrote in the footer, they had an office in Naples and it auto-corrected to nipples. <laughs> and the documents went out to the client. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so it's funny because, you know, so I was divorced and I had a date with a girl in Naples and she took me to a, surfer bar in Naples and she went into the bathroom and she came back stoned <laughs> at this bar and so and anyway and the way she was dressed in Florida and her physique is completely different than what I was used to at the yeah. west coast style so when you say nipples I'm like it must yeah, be yeah. a Naples thing because, flashback yeah yeah no kidding man <laughs> don't you didn't hear that Amber yeah, I'm sorry, Amber. Yeah, see, just, yeah, right. We're just telling stories about what you it's know, like. Stuff. <clears throat> Where, so. Where'd you go to law school? Whittier College of Law in California, nice. which nice. is closed. Oh, yeah. Well, where'd you go? Well, I went to Seattle U. Nice. Are you, Seattle, are you just Seattle guy? You grew up in Seattle? No, I, I grew up in the east, eastern Washington farmland. Oh. And then moved to, you know, like you're a young man. So you go to college. So I went to Wazoo and then University of Washington in Seattle. And, and when did you graduate? 94 from law school. Oh, so two years ahead of me. Yeah. But you're about my age then. I'm 58. Are you? 53, yeah. Yeah, so little. you're a little younger. You, I was you're... 25 when I became a lawyer, which is crazy. <laughs> I, I started doing estate planning at 25. Clients came in, they're like, I have socks older than you. Yeah, that must have been hard. Yeah, my dad was a lawyer and he, I was in his you, firm and helped you along. Are you, is your firm large? Do you have a, a lot of lawyers or? 10. 10. Oh, well. 30 people. We've got, how many offices do we have, Amber? Eight. Staffed and not staffed. So able to meet out of 12. And we've got staffed offices throughout California, NorCal and SoCal, 35 total and a couple open positions. I can see why you're, well, not burnt out, but I can see why you say to yourself sometimes, why am I doing this? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, how do you manage that? I have really good people. Amber's one of them. My wife works. And once COVID hit, she worked 
started working in the firm. I've got a law partner who handles kind of managing the firm. She's essentially the managing partner. I'm a partner. I'm C- CEO. I can't basically, I make money decisions and she kind of handles everything else. Did you intend to be this big? I mean, was your goal accumulate wealth and be big or was it just, you have a lot of energy and it just kind of happened? Yeah, it was, I would say it's a little bit of both. And one of the, one of the things is we've acquired 23 law practices. So where people have retired and we pick up their book of business. And when I went through the, I, I started practicing law in 1994 in a recession, went through 2000, went through 2008. And it was like, man, I, it's a lot better if you're bigger because you have a client base. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And that was part of it. The other thing is, which is in the back of my mind is in Utah and Arizona, up to 49% of a law firm can be owned by a non-lawyer. And I think that's going to be, that's a future, which I don't think is necessarily a good thing, but half of what we do is recurring revenue. It's trust administration. So these are people that call in and, uh, and estate planning in, in a sense is recurring, but it's pretty consistent month over month over month. It's the same number month over month on the administration side. And so there's a value there. And we're like firm-wise, like top line revenue of probably seven million, something like that. You should probably be about eight or nine. I'm not keeping, you know, law is a low margin business. So when it's this size, but it's big enough where if we could get to 20 million in revenue or 30 million in revenue, I think we could be, you're, you start attracting investors, quite frankly, and then you take money off the table and you kind of work out a deal. So that was kind of, I figured like, well, I have this thing and I'm, I know I'm going to be working hard, whether it's big or small. Might as well make it, you know, a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So you do trust administration. Huh? Do you? Okay, so <clears throat> that's something we could talk about because my f- level of frustration with professional trustees is like this. Would you take a, a $2 million idget and the only reason the professional trustee declined is because I included the trust protector suite from Wealth Council? <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't, if I were a private professional fiduciary, I would not be a fiduciary without a trust protector, because I think you end up with, it's just a more hassle to deal with. Right. We use trust protectors pretty much. I don't want to say every estate plan, but every estate plan. I posted on wealth council about, I'm like, okay, look, yeah. they accused me of overreaching. <laughs> no, you're protecting your, yeah. the alternative is drag him into court, but who's going to drag him into court? Okay, so that was my point. Is okay. First of all, if it was a grantor trust, you would have no problems because the client could do all these things to you anyway. Yeah. Second of all, if you're afraid of court, look, realize that I'm the attorney. I'm the one that's going to sue you, (laughs) so we can go to court and argue about it, or I can just say, "Give me the stinking performance report." What? What is so hard about that? There's one published case that because I did a a webinar uh, in in preparing for it, and I did a like a Lerman. Lineberg, something like that. I did something for a trust protector. There's one case out there where the trust protector, and it involved a minor, okay? And the trust protector didn't do his job. And that is like the exact situation where a trust protector is totally appropriate. And if the trustee is on board with that, I would welcome that as a trustee, right? It's yes. like, hey, if you see something going on, I need an extra set of eyes. I'm not, I'm trustee. I'm a fiduciary. I'm not going to steal the money. Right. This trustee acted like they, they'd never heard of a trust protector, even though their state has a trust protector statute. 
and that this was some new invention in the law. And yeah. I had actually put pencil to paper and came up with some devious plan. And I'm like, I don't want to shop a bunch of trust companies. And yeah, that's an uninformed fiduciary. Yeah, get a different fiduciary. I want you to take the case because I, the last thing I'm going to do is start picking up the phone and calling professional trustees and interviewing them. I'm what supposed state, to be semi-retired. Yeah, what <laughs> state is it in? Washington. Do you have, California has a private professional fiduciaries bureau where people have to register and get fingerprinted. Do you guys have that in Washington? No, I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Fingerprinted. We could yeah. talk about, one thing that interests me is the conflict between a very cynical of the financial services industry. Yeah. And to me, it's a racket as implemented, but how is it like, how do you reconcile a lawyer's duty to the client and our ethical training as compared to financial services in which it seems like there's kind of this inherent conflict of interest and that industry use property in particular it differently than planners do. And sometimes it's a conflict. For example, we need to avoid probate. Well, no, because we can't uh, fund a 42 USC with a living trust and arguing with people about changing the retirement account designation to a retirement account trust. Now, I've never seen that before, so it, it can't happen. So the financial advisor becomes an obstacle and becomes an yeah. adversary position to the planning right. attorney. That happened, that used to happen a lot more. And so that's actually one of the chapters we have in our book, which is right on the, in, we call it an, an IRA legacy trust, which is the standalone retirement trust and wealth council. But here's the problem with financial advisors. They go, you're a lawyer. You think, you know, all this stuff. I get a way more training than you do. I'm much smarter than you. You know, you're just a lawyer. So there's like a lot of hubris in there. And there are two kinds of financial advisors. Those are her fiduciaries and those who aren't. So the wirehouse guys are not fiduciaries. If you say, you go to Morgan Stanley and you say, hey, Morgan Stanley, you got a $2 million IRA, we're maybe special needs beneficiary. We're going to set this up in a standalone retirement trust. You send in the beneficiary designation. And if you, even if you convince the advisor to do it, what's going to happen is within 30 days, it's going to go through compliance. And the compliance officer is going to say, why are you designated designating the beneficiary of an IRA, a trust? Why are you doing that? You need to change it and make it the individual person. And they'll then what they'll do is they won't go back through the lawyer. They'll go directly to the client. They'll say, oh, sign here. This was wrong. Your lawyer doesn't know what he's doing. And really, they're not educated and informed. And that's a problem. The fiduciary, you know, we're the advisory firm that we have, we're registered investment advisors and CFPs, and it's totally separate from the law firm. We refer out, I'm a shareholder. I have no control over anything. I'm staying in my lane. And if they want to use that our firm, great. If they don't, that's fine too. But I would say that people need to seek out a registered investment advisor because they have a fiduciary relationship. They have to put the interest of the client before their own interests. And that's not the case with the wirehouse. They also have shelving fees. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? So if you, if you buy an annuity from AIG, you're going to have a guaranteed, you might have a guarantee of 6% if you go through an independent advisory, an independent advisory firm. But that same product is only going to give you a guarantee of 4%. Because yeah. the Morgan Stanleys and the Merrill Lynch's of the world, they take a rake of 2%. It's like a shelving fee in a supermarket to put a bag of chips at eye level. That's not free. The, the, right. bag, the chip company's paying for it to be there. That's a shelving fee. So there's a lot of stuff. And then people say, well, I really like my guy. And we get this in San Francisco and LA specifically is they go, well, I have a $10 million portfolio. I am going to JP Morgan, a wirehouse. 
I'm not going to go to a registered investment advisor. Those people need it more than they need that the services that that an RIA can provide and not get ripped off by the wirehouse people. So we don't really throw shade on the wirehouses because they refer <laughs> clients to us, but that's yeah. like just that is what the world is. And if you talk to the people who leave the wire, I, we had a Fourth of July party and there was a guy from the Bay Area. At our, we have another house in Sacramento. We had a Fourth of July party there, and he's a lawyer who was at Morgan Stanley for 10 years, not practicing law. He's like, I left them. He said it was terrible. Like they, they have to put the interests of the Morgan Stanley before the client. He's like, I'm just not going to do that. So he went on his own. But I think that whole industry, when you see what their gross margins are, it's crazy. Yeah. And I think that has to end. It, there, already, there's already been a lot of fee compression, but I just don't see how that's sustainable. But I'll probably be retired by the time that's... Well, it doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. There's just too much money involved. And I don't know. I just... It's really weird. Like people who move money from one pile to another pile make all this money. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah, right. We're not resentful of the fees or anything, Amber. (laughs) I'm not. That's not not what's going on here at all. So All right, think, so Amber? let's do this. I don't know, is are we? Is this the podcast or is this just the pre- I tell you what, well, let me listen to it and see if okay. I can chop it up and then let you guys listen to it and see what you think. If you want to, if it's good, then hopefully we can move on to a, another episode in which we yeah, focus sure. on like a topic. Yeah. I think we have good energy. You, you seem like a cool I, dude. I think another, another thing to talk about is when you name, you know, naming a kid as trustee, successor trustee, the older I get, the I change my viewpoint on it in yep. the sense that this person's dealing with grief. They may be dealing with guilt. They may be dealing with, they may feel guilty because they're relieved that the parent died because they were taking care of them. And now they have to do all this stuff. And I think you really need to, rather than just knee jerk naming your kids or like the oldest to youngest, I'm not sure people are giving that enough thought. They're, they're uh, not. And yeah. it, even if it goes okay, it, what I don't like about it is it changes the relationship. You used to be my brother. Yeah. Now you're the guy I have to go to when I, for money, you know, if it's an ongoing family dynasty trust. Right. And there's no way in all human beings are going to be a little bit resentful of that. And clients are like, I want to save the fee. That's one motivator. And then let's name all the kids as successor in order. Well, why? Oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That's right. So you're deciding a job based on hurting somebody's feelings. <laughs> this is a person that's in charge of the money. I don't mean to be crude, but who cares about feelings? <laughs> yeah, I know. And you'll be dead. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. So that's why I was frustrated to be candid because I'm an old salt here and I'm trying to help this client whom I love dearly. And my spidey senses were up about the financial advisor and the trust company. They became defensive about trust protector. And now I'm stuck because I only had this one, one card to play. Like I, I don't know any other professional trustees. And the reason I was reaching out, Jim, is because I'm a, as I've aged, I've realized I've seen what happens when kids become the trustee and it really doesn't work very well in a lot of cases, in too many cases. It's not their skill set, first of all. Second of all, they're busy with their own kids in their own life. And then it causes this conflict even when everything's going okay. So let's not do that. And of course, I convinced my current set of clients that this was the way to go. And I stumble right out of the block with the first professional trustee because 
they wanted to own the money, I guess. I mean, it was weird. You can tell I'm upset about it. Well, I think the alternative is you can submit annual accountings to the court. Yeah. That's... Or better yet, just agree to give it to the trust protector, who's a grumpy lawyer, and is going to look at it and say, why are we underperforming S&P 500 by five base five points every review period? I mean, I'm just asking. I don't mean to, you know make anybody mad, but why can't they just go out and buy S&P 500 when, you know. Because it goes down 20%. That's easy. Yeah, well, exactly right. I thought it was a good conversation. What do you think in that plan? Just kind of let, yeah, let you that's fine. Yeah, Riffin's okay. fine. Yeah. Awesome. I just don't like, I'm not going to mention Morgan Stanley or anyone by name, but yeah. that's probably a bad idea. Well, name them because I, I love dudes who sh- show listeners and their clients, what's behind the curtain, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because if you're afraid to show what's behind the curtain, that means you have a financial interest of keeping the curtain up, right? I mean, for the most part. That's right, that's right. So I think it's fine to say wirehouse and what our wirehouses say, but I wouldn't necessarily, anyway. You want me to beep that out? (laughs) What's that? (laughs) See, now you're making my edit time go up. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Okay, man. All right, listen, I got to run. It was nice to meet you, Daryl. Enjoy Likewise. your time in Puerto Rico. So where yeah. in where how close are you to, is it San Juan? What's the capital? Yeah, I'm on the other side. So I'm on the dry side. Do you have electricity? So, sometimes I do, but it, that's no joke, man. It goes yeah. out frequently for a day. One day, the generator here, power plant, whatever, in this area caught on fire and it took at the entire island out for three days. So I just went out on my boat, man. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll what kind of boat do you have? I just have a little Boston whaler. So I go out in nice. the day and get sunburned and, you know, but it's a nice it, boat. It's paradise here. So nice. I'm not saying San Francisco is not nice because it is, but well, this is it, endless summer and it's just beautiful. It's probably 78 degrees right now. Where we are on the east side of Marin is the water, the wind blows from the Pacific, goes over some mountains, warms up, dries out, comes back down. So it's kind of like. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boom X Show Laws of Money podcast, where asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle breaks down the complicated rules of estate, retirement, and even long-term care planning. You can listen to past episodes of the Boom X Show by going to boomxshow.com or subscribing right from your smartphone's podcast player. To take a deeper dive, join as a free member in the BoomX Academy, and you'll be automatically enrolled in the show's companion courses where you can find enhanced content and many of the show's important episodes. Enroll now by visiting BoomXAcademy.com. That's BoomXAcademy.com.